0: I know that for many of us, Christmas is long gone by now. Uh, Over and over again, though, you've likely heard it said in the church that on Christmas Day, as I said with the kids, that just started Christmas, and that Christmas is the season in which we are presently living in the church. I have some very good friends of mine who always put away Christmas decorations on December 26th. By the end of the day on the 26th, The tree is out on the street, and they have put all the decorations away. And when you talk to them, they'll tell you that it gives them a feeling of newness, of freshness, a restart, a return to normalcy. And you see, as much as we love all these celebrations of the end of the year, and really, doesn't it start with Halloween, even, and then go to Thanksgiving and then Christmas and all that comes with it. For many of us, we've got this need, this desire just to get back to normal, to an equilibrium, to find that foundation of the things that we can control, the things we're used to. We can return to doing the things of our lives. But then, interestingly, there are others among us, and my family has always been like this, where we want to keep Christmas going as long as possible. We keep the decorations up. I remember as a kid the tree would be very, very dead by the time we were taking it out. And maybe you're delaying the work of putting things away, but really I think you just want to enjoy them. And for me and my family, we don't associate it with stress, but rather with a sense of peace, and and we like it, and it's the family all together, and there's contentment and calm. So you can see how different people approach these, these holidays and the decorations and all of the traditions in very different ways. But whether you have moved past Christmas or you're holding on to it, clutching it tight, that season that started on Christmas Day, the season of Christmas, it continues for 12 days from December 25th, the 12 days of Christmas. Now, of course, that brings to mind a song, right, that either gives you a smile or makes you shake the head and want to run away. The song that goes on and on, and some find painful, but others find it to be a treasured gem. Lots of people were singing that song all during December, but really, just now, we're right now at the 12th day of Christmas. Those 12 days of Christmas, though, they're part of a centuries-old tradition of celebrating Christmas this season of Christmas and the days that follow toward and into Epiphany. I kind of want to try that tradition of throwing the crosses into the water and see how many of you would jump after them, but I don't think it's going to happen. And we don't really talk an awful lot about Epiphany in the church. But I think it's helpful to know that this has been around for a long time. Epiphany has been around for uh, at least since the second century. It's documented as being that old that we we celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas and we get that we understand the birth of Christ. But then in these days after the Christmas celebration for thousands of years, the church has celebrated Epiphany, which, as I said with the kids, comes from this Greek word that means manifestation. (laughs) At Epiphany, we celebrate that this mysterious birth of Christ is more than the birth of a baby. It's the incarnation, the mysterious becoming of human flesh of God, the human manifestation of God, of God the creator choosing to become human and walk among humanity. And sometimes, if not always, this concept is a little difficult for us to understand. I like that it's right next to Christmas, though, because we understand babies. We get that, right? We get excited about new life, about new birth. But understanding God's manifestation in human form, it's much harder to get our head around. And like many of our church holidays, though, if you think about it, really nearly, like nearly all of our church holy days, Epiphany is a day when we celebrate a mystery. A mystery that is beyond human comprehension. The church marks these mystery days. We call them holy days. I kind of would like to call them mystery days. They're days of wonder, right? Easter, a day of wonder. Days of intrigue. Days that keep us thinking, keep us hoping, keep us praying, keep us looking, keep us searching, keep us growing keep us limping toward this God who loves us and who desires our love, but a God who resides in the mysteries. These are opportunities for us to lean into the curiosity of it, rather than trying to comprehend the mystery out of it. Over and over again, each year, maybe we can learn a little bit more, or actually unlearn a little bit, learn a little bit less And understand more and we can allow ourselves to examine our own faith during these holy days to bring our faith and our doubts to these holy days and we can continue on our journey but we come to this place to continue on that journey a journey with one another a journey that's guided by God but a journey on which we have companions And so this is what the church has done with Epiphany for all these centuries. Now, Epiphany is most often associated with the gospel lesson in Matthew that Amy read for us, where some wise men followed a star and came from the east to find the Messiah. They brought him gifts. You all remember what those gifts are, right? Tell someone sitting next to you what the gifts are. Remember what they are? Frankincense gold. Gold myrrh. Got them all? Okay. We got them all. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? And just thinking about the kings now, you might even have an image of what they looked like, right? Perhaps robes and turbans. And there were definitely camels with them, right? But we don't know any of this. It's not in the story. Did you hear any of that in the story that Amy read? We don't we don't even know exactly where they came from. We don't know how many of them there were. It doesn't say that there were three. It says that there were three gifts that were brought, but we don't know if they all brought a gift. There's nothing about camels. We don't even know how they knew that the star would lead them to Bethlehem. And, and we don't know we don't know when they came. In our mind we often think of the baby coming. Quickly, and then there's the baby, and then there's the wise men, but we don't know that. It just says that they came after the birth. These facts have all been filled in by tradition over the centuries. Our text says that after Jesus was born, wise men came. They followed a star, but the star didn't actually get them to Bethlehem. But rather, they were summoned to King Herod when they reached the region. King Herod knew they were looking for the Messiah. And he also wanted to find the Messiah for a very different reason. He wanted to get rid of the Messiah. He wanted to get rid of any threat. And so these men, these wise men, meet him. And they tell him what they're doing. They didn't know that there was the risk. And so it's Herod who then gathers the religious leaders and says, where where is the Messiah to be born? And they recite scripture from the prophet Isaiah saying that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. So the star is still guiding these wise men. And so they start following the star again. And the star continues to guide them. And Matthew writes that they followed it until it stopped over a place where the child was. And then come some of my favorite words in all of Scripture. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. They were in the presence of the one they were seeking, the one they were drawn to follow, and the one they had journeyed to worship, and they were overwhelmed with joy. They brought gifts But the star had been the true gift, a gift that brought them to this child. A journey that led to them being overwhelmed with joy. We need to be looking for stars, for the things that point us toward Christ. We need to be looking for the things in our lives that point us toward the mystery of God's incarnation. The promise that we have, the promise in Scripture, is that in finding Christ, in in growing closer to Christ, in bringing the gifts of our lives to Christ, we will be overwhelmed with joy. Truly, the stars we follow will be the greatest gift we can ever receive. Now, I love that the wise men weren't alone. It wasn't a wise man wise person who was a group of wise men who came and it's a critical part of the text but I, I like to think about it too because we don't we don't know really anything about their conversations right along the way they're following this this star there had to have been doubts right at some point are we really following the right star are we going the right way Or were there times when they lost track of the star? Did they have disagreements along the way? Is that what led them to Herod eventually? Or confusion? I'm sure there were some jokes along the way, some good conversation. They're traveling. I just got back from a week in a car with a friend of mine, and we had a lot of silence, I'm sure, but also good conversation on the journey. But what we know, as much as we don't know, what we know is that they were together. They were together. They had companions on the journey, following the star together, seeking Jesus with one another. The companions on your journey, they're a gift to you from God. Companions in this church, companions in your family, these companions, they can help you see the things that you might not see on your own to reveal the stars, there it is, to keep going, to help you understand the path of loving Christ in ways that you might not see yourself as you journey together following the star. Stars and companions, these are God's gift to you for your journey. This morning I want to share with you a tradition that I shared with the folks at family camp last year, and then again last night. When you come forward for communion a little bit later, after you receive communion, you're going to have a chance to choose a, a star from one of the bowls on either side as you go back to your seat. There's a star, it's, it's for you, and, and on the star is a word that's written. There's a different word on every star. It's a gift of a word to help you grow this year, as you seek to grow nearer and closer to Christ. It's a word to help guide your life a little bit in this coming year. It's a new year, it's a new opportunity to start and to look afresh and anew at the mystery of how God is working in your life. So, like I say, you'll each have a different word and I encourage you to share your word with others, maybe during fellowship downstairs. Or maybe even with a a close friend in an email or a phone call or, or a walk or a cup of coffee. Share about and think about that word throughout the year. But first, I encourage you to learn about the word. Look up the definitions, all of them, even the strange ones. Even if you think you know what the word means and you feel comfortable with it, look it up. Wrestle with your word. You may not like your word or even understand it. Or, or even get how it might be a word worth following. But I encourage you to wrestle with those feelings too. Google the word. See where it appears in the news. Look up the word in scripture and see what verses it might appear in. See if there's something you can gain from it. Examine your word and then take and seek ways that you can live into the word in your year. Put the star somewhere it might be easy to follow. It might be helpful to see as a reminder or a guide. Maybe your refrigerator or your bathroom mirror or a car visor or a calendar or in your planner. Somewhere you will continually be reminded of your word. And then be reminded that you're on a journey. All of us are on a journey. And enjoy the journey of following this star to examine your life, but really to lead you where the stars ought lead, which is to the cross and to Christ. Stars and companions. Gifts for us on this journey. A journey of epiphany, a journey into the mystery, a journey that is our whole lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.